0: on today's
1: episode of chapters like th-
0: there's no question that cannot be answered in some it may not be the definitive answer but there are books out there that are answering all of our questions and and and
1: trying to bring us to each other today's podcast is brought to you by audible get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at www.audibletrial.com/chapters There you'll find over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to Chapters, the podcast where we hear the stories of readers' lives through the books that have meant the most to them. I'm Mary Mahoney, and today my guest is Dominique Taylor. Dominique is the founder of The Storiescape, a platform that celebrates literature. The StoryScape provides the latest news, reviews, opinions, and entertainment on books. Dominique embodies the passion of her platform, and it's clear to see how books have informed her commitment to art and its role in making a better world. This is Dominique's story. Uh, I'm really happy that you um, agreed to come on the show because I've been a longtime fan of your videos, and it's so cool to get a chance to talk to you. Oh, Thank you so much. So I guess I want to begin by just asking you maybe if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and some of your earliest memories of reading.
0: Sure. I um, am a Brooklyn resident. I mm-hmm. grew up half in New Jersey, half in Virginia, and um, I am the child of Liberian immigrants. Uh, I grew up reading a lot because my mom would always um, – I was – very curious and I would ask a lot of questions. So she would always send me to a book or send me to um, the dictionary or um, she always sent me to words in a certain sense, like even if I got in trouble. And I was actually thinking about this today where whenever I got in trouble at school, she always made me like write letters to my <laughs> teacher. And so um, I think it, it, I just sort of got drawn into this world of, um, literature because of her. Um, and because I was pretty much not having questions answered by the people around me. So I just found them in books and then I just kept going down, um, down that path of, um, the next book and finding another book and just staying in that world. And the, the earliest books that I would, I read were, um, you know, the Goosebumps and Sweet Valley High and the Babysitter's Club and um, hmm. and, and uh, American Girl. I, yeah, it was really a lot of just those series. And so it was that thing of there was always another one coming
1: out and I just always had to have it. Hmm. So thinking even earlier um, than that, even before you were reading books yourself, when you were, even before you could read yourself, what kinds of books were your parents reading to you?
0: Um, it wasn't necessarily that they were reading to me. Like my mom had a lot of um adult books around which I tried to read. So she read a lot of um Terry McMillan and I wanna say um John Grisham. I'm not really <laughs> into uh, I can't remember who it is, but it's one of those sort of um uh crime uh authors. And so I remember trying to pick up some of her novels and she would always be like you're not going to enjoy that and sure enough like those <laughs> are the the funniest times because she was always right because it's sort of that thing of being a kid and like you when you're ready to read chapter books and so you're like oh I can read it like I've got this <laughs> I would like turn the first page and my most vivid memory of this is the color purple was around um the house and I would um I just wanted to read it and she was like, You're not gonna enjoy it and I was like, You don't know that and so I picked it up. I must have been eight or something. And so I picked it up and the first page it was like a penis was on it and I was like, I don't want to read that. <laughs> that's amazing. And so um yeah, so it was just um she had her own reading taste and I was able to develop my own reading. T- <laughs> And it was a very, um, I guess that should have been the thing I asked you <laughs> if I
1: could, like, have these essential things. <laughs> so when you're reading those books that are some of the first books that belong to you, the books that you mentioned, the, fran- the series like Sweet Valley High, and I'm really interested in what you made of the American Girl series. I know that was important to me as a reader, too. Um, Goosebumps. What was it about those books that attracted you and kept you reading them?
0: Um, I'm not. I'm not too sure. I think that it definitely had to do with... I, they were sort of like... Sto- your, they were my stories, like how people go to soap operas and they're following these characters and you sort of develop this um relationship with who they are and you know they're going to get themselves into something chaotic, um if that is what it is. Um, or they, um, you know... I, I just got connected to them and I just wanted to see how things were going to turn out for them. Um, and I'm trying to think of, I know that for Sweet Valley High and the babysitters club, there was a level of aspiration that I wanted from, uh, that I connected with. Like I wanted to be those girls when I got to high school and I wanted to be a part of sort of a girl's, um, group like the babysitter's club. Hmm. And I remember when that movie came out and I was so distraught because I was like, I cannot believe I am not in the <laughs> babysitter's club. And so I think it was, yeah, they were sort of like friends. Um And yeah. it was just a thing of finding out what, what they got into
1: next. Hmm. Did those, did those books resemble in any way things you were going through in your own life or were they just sort of an escape?
0: Um, Hmm. No, they were, they weren't an escape because I definitely wasn't going through what, um, the girls in, uh, Sweet Valley High and, um, hmm. I don't know if there were any books that, uh, reflected me, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. or not even reflected me, but that I sort of saw myself in, um, that didn't come until much later. Hmm. Uh,
1: and yeah. So what, what kinds of books then were you reading when you were in school? Was it still that kind of material? When did, I guess I'm curious about your life as a reader in terms of when did you sort of consciously start to have a relationship with books that felt more personal, like it was informing the person that you were becoming?
0: Um, let's see the first, like the first book or just the time period in which I went to books to inform. um, Yeah, I guess the time period, I guess I would have to say in college. Um, that's when I sort, I, I really started to be a bit more, um, intentional about what I was reading and not intention, well, yeah, I was a bit more intentional with what I was reading and started to develop that sense of, um, I like to say that books choose you, but mm-hmm. I developed whatever sense that would be, um, in which I could walk into a library or a bookstore or I could listen to someone talk about something that they had read and something within me knew that I should um, I should seek that piece of literature because it would inform whatever it is that I was going through and I don't think that um, and I feel like that's a really roundabout way of just saying like I was looking for books to uh, <laughs> to inform me of my own identity but I, I it's so funny. I cannot remember the first book in which that sort of happened.
1: Um, well, I'm just, maybe you could just um, maybe share a time when I'm really interested in this idea that books choose you. And that's something that other guests on this show have talked about, including some mediums that we had on several episodes ago who certainly believe that books choose you. Um, yeah. Can you remember a time when you discovered a book in a library or bookstore and it seemed to perfectly fit a need you had in your life at that time?
0: Um, so many times. I think that, um, well, first I'll say that when I was, (laughs) when I was little, I used to read, um, that book, Black Beauty by Anne um, Sewell. Is that her name? I think so. Uh, Yeah. And I always only got halfway because at that time I was, (laughs) every time I picked that book up, I was looking for that book to tell me that I was beautiful I think and mm. every time I would read it it I wasn't in it and I was like what is what is it about this book that I'm just not connecting with and it wasn't until you know like a dozen times later like I mean I picked it up countless times actually and would only read halfway through and then put it down because it never Spoke to me and then I realized it's about a horse. <laughs> and I was like, that's why you couldn't connect with it. Because you kept looking for yourself in it and it was about a horse. <laughs> and so that was really funny. And maybe that um, informs why I stopped going to books to inform me. But then much later when I became an adult and, um, I know that Harry, one of the books that I did probably um, connect with a lot or the character that I connected with a lot was Hermione in um, Harry Potter. So I will say that um, that happened at that point. And then when I got older and I started to understand um, race a lot more and I started to understand gender a lot more, especially now, and sort of the and even the immigrants experience, experience I think a lot of those reads that th- the books that I found that informed me about my own limitations and how I identify with myself or how other people identify themselves and how I receive that or how I participate in it that started to happen um probably around I want to say The Known World. And that was really interesting. Um, can you just, yeah, can you describe that
1: book for people who haven't read it?
0: So The Known World is by Edward P. Jones and it's a book about black slave owners, um, in Virginia, in a, in a made up town in Virginia. And, um, the experience of them being conflicted with um you know living on these plantations and the 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 um the process or the how things turned out was really fascinating but there was a part at the end of the book i hadn't realized how much the book had affected me on the inside but there was a part of it at the end in which jones was doing a q and a and he answered a question that it's that's leaving my mind now but he answered it and said that slavery did things to everybody and there were some who transcended transcended it and there were some who succumbed to it and i remember just um completely (laughs) losing my losing everything i just sobbed because it was such what he had said completely released me of um, sort of my own temp- temporal limitations and, and spatial limitations and, and um, the way that I, I would interact with people. I mean, it went beyond like, I mean, it went beyond anything I had ever thought of um, how to interact with people and how to interact with this world and society and who I would be in it, because I understood at that moment, what freedom actually meant. And it w- it went beyond just sort of this oppression of, of human bodies, but how we are oppressed in our minds, or how we carry it forward in different generations. And, um, and so I remember that book really opened me up in a way that I hope that I'm sort of articulating it now, but it just opened me up in a way that I started to look at my own experience um, outside of myself, and it was no longer about me just being a black woman doing a certain thing, and it really got down to the human experience of who who could I be in relationship to freedom?
1: Wow. Yeah. And how old were you when you read that book?
0: I was in my twenties. I was in my early twenties. Um, and of course, you know, Toni Morrison is another one who really just at any point (laughs) you could read her and she would just be speaking to you and you'd be like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. Um, (laughs) and, um, and Maya Angelou's, I know why the cage bird sings. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, It's interesting that the so I can speak right now to the books that I'm that I find myself being drawn to um, because of course obviously it's so much more recent and I found that the books and the authors and the experiences and literature that I'm so attached to have to do with um, with artistry and how people develop themselves as artists and figuring out what it is that they, um, are called to express. And I think that all of the literature up to this point has been doing that to me, has been opening me up to how I'm in relation to people, how, um, how I'm in relation to words, how I'm in relation to my own sense of expression and creativity.
1: I think, I think that's really interesting. And especially in light of The books that you spoke about being important to you when you were, you know, a young reader that um, from what you just said of being, and I agree with you that being an artist is so much about being able to relate to the words you encounter to the people and things around you and find meaning there. Um, And on your channel, which I want to talk about in a little while, you talk really movingly about the importance of issues of representation. So I wonder what it meant for you as a young artist you know, from the time you were a child to now to the early 20s when you had this revelatory reading experience, you start out reading books that don't have characters that look like you. And how does that inform your own sense of what kind of art, you know, if you can be an artist and what kind and things like that? Um,
0: it, as a child not having those kind of books?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, I had, I had, um... For instance, like in the American Mar- in American Marriage, I just read that book. <laughs> <laughs> in the American Girl series, um, there was a little girl. I think her name was Annie. I feel like I'm blanking on all Addie. Things. You mean Addie? Add- thank you, Addie. Um, so she she was a character that I um, that I found in books. But as far as the other ones, I think that. You, of course, I, at the time, I didn't really have that sense of I'm missing something from the literature. But looking back on it, I feel as if it drew me, I still was drawn to this human experience. Even, and, and this is something that has been a part of my entire reading life. I've always just connected to whatever the human experience was um, or whatever the character was going through beyond it saying that, um, beyond it being not, beyond it not representing um, what the rest of the world looks like. And I think that I am sort of grateful for that because I never had those questions of, oh, I can't be, so-and-so because I just always thought it was me like I was I could be that character Mm -hmm. and which is probably why I was so distraught when I wasn't in the babysitter clubs (laughs) babysitters club movie but even then I think there were there was um representation in the movie that came out and um but I think that in the books the reason why I um don't look Like, I don't, I'm not not fond of my reading experience back then because of some sense of not being represented, but it would have been nice. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think that those did exist. And oh my gosh, it just all dawned on me. I did have an experience. Sharon G. Flake, how could I? (laughs) So when I was, um, and so yeah, That is the first thing I don't, when I was reading those books, I wasn't so conscious of the fact that um, the writer may not have written them to look like me, but I could still think of myself as being the character. But then um, there was an author or she, she is an author. Her name is Sharon G. Flake. And, And I don't remember when I first started reading her, but she has a book called the skin I'm in and I remember reading that when I was twelve, and that was my story. Like page, I mean, from cover to cover, that was my entire childhood. Um, And I, in what way, appreciated that? Yeah. So the book is called "The Skin I'm In" by Sharon G. Flake, and she wrote this story about a little girl named. Lika and she was sort of like, um, she was an outcast and she was, uh, dealing with the grief of losing her father. Her mom was working all the time and she, um, you know, wore these high waters. She, her skin was too dark and the kids just could not deal. And so she would get made fun of all the time and they would call her these names, Um, But then when she was sitting in class one day, they got a new teacher and this new teacher had a a scar on her face and um, or a birthmark. And so when she saw her, she was like, Lord, I do not want this lady to, you know, single me out because I know she's about to, like, there was just this feeling that this woman was a freak and she was going to find the freak child and she was going to make life more hard for her. And so, of course, the lady singles her out and, um, she has the class write these letters to themselves and, or uh, it's a writing project that they have to do. And Malika's, um, project, um, her writing really Towards the teacher, and so the teacher takes her under her wing, which makes things harder for her, and she's like, you know, befriend- she starts going down the wrong path and trying to be friends with the cool kids, but they are um, going down a, a not-so-great path, and so it starts to really affect her school work, and um, and just a whole plot of um, decline, <laughs> Um, but then you know, she finds herself writing a lot more, and that the writing actually is saving her. and um, and and so I connected with the story because um, Malika was me that I, and Malika is like a lot of kids who feel as if, you know, they have some law that will never allow them to be loved and will never allow them to fit in. And so I remember when I I read that and saw that she could um she would survive. I think that that helped me a lot um to and, and to survive. Yeah.
1: Did you feel like I you didn't me to survive? Did you feel like you didn't fit in?
0: Yeah, um like growing up in Jersey, I got made fun of a lot, and and in Virginia as well. But I think that what was different about Virginia is that people are a lot more polite, <laughs> and so they like they'll do it under wraps or they'll do it somewhere else. Um, and and so yeah, I think that me dealing with how the rest of the world received me um, was a huge learning. Uh, curve or you know just something that i had to 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 go through
1: Mm. and
0: malika um helped that and a couple years ago actually i was going through a whole lot of stuff and um and the author was putting on a play of it and obviously this play was for like young adult (laughs) and I was a full grown adult, but I still drove down to Pittsburgh and I was like, I want to go meet her. And I did. And it was really nice. Um, just, I just wanted to meet her. Um, wow. What was that like? I got to do that and I took her with her. Yeah. And my skin was very, um, it was such a deep tone in the picture that turned out. And I was like, yes,
1: yes. (laughs) It's shining through. (laughs) What was it like to meet the author of a book that meant so much to you?
0: Oh, so surreal. I mean, it was so, um it's like seeing your teachers be real people or like um you're re- realizing that your parents are real people. It's that feeling. It's just like, dude, you have um a face and you have, you, know, you have hands that wrote this book. Like you are a person just like me and you could, you know, see into my soul or create something that um that spoke to my soul in the way that it did. Huh. Like I went to the National Book Awards a couple year yeah a couple of years ago and um the author for um oh my gosh, Bridge to Terabithia was there. Oh Catherine Patterson. And I was like, wait a minute, she's a real person. Like it just <laughs> that you know that these authors are real and so right now when I get to reach out to authors it's so cool um and yeah it's it's like they're not real people they're 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 you know they're lines on the cover of a page and um and and they're an idea uh, in your head when you're reading these books because it's like how did you put all this together Yeah. yeah, so it was really cool meeting her because it I just saw her in her three-dimensional self.
1: And did seeing the play and kind of going back into that book another time help you with the challenges you were going through at the time, even as an adult?
0: Uh, yeah. Um in the sense that what I think like one of the Mantras to live by is that this too shall pass. And so I guess even just remembering back then that I was really down about, you know, the, your growing up woes and knowing that I got through that, like I could get through anything. And I think that that's all that did for me because it's not the same problems in the same, um, regard, but all problems are, um, problems that pass. And so remembering that I had been so down that I thought I couldn't see past it. And then I saw past it. And then you're like, Oh, there's always another side to this.
1: Hmm. And I think too, that a lot of people have books that they really treasure and they revisit them at different times. And it seems at least in my own life as a reader, that you find different messages there with each rereading, or you have a different experience each time.
0: Yeah. You look at the different, you look at different characters. It's like, um, the, Next time around, I didn't focus so much on Malika, but I would focus on the other characters that were surrounding her. You know, it was like I had been so attached to her in the beginning. And then it was like, oh, my gosh, who was this woman, this teacher that um, that saw her or who is this kid, Caleb or or. The, the kids that were bullying her like what were they going through so yeah I, I i focused on other people other characters and got out of myself and i think that that's what um and i don't reread a lot of books um or you know go back to a lot of books from childhood but i think that that's probably what would happen more I would see the other characters um, in a way that I didn't the first time around. But I think that's different now, too, because even um, some of my most recent reads, I remember having enough space um, to sort of take in all of the characters.
1: Hmm. So to shift gears a little bit, you mentioned before about – the things that have informed your development as, as an artist. So I'm wondering if you could maybe share a little bit about your journey to becoming an artist and maybe the role of reading in that.
0: Sure. Um My road to becoming an artist. <laughs> well, I didn't really know that. I didn't know that I was an artist in the sense that I guess I'm becoming one now. And I just sort of, Knew that I loved performing, and I knew that I loved um, um, creating things, I, and and writing, and and sort of dissecting a lot of experiences, or just yeah, the the actual act of creation. Um, I enjoyed it. Now, whether or not I called it that, a lot of times I didn't, and after. After I want to say 2016, when I really started coming up with these ideas that I didn't know how to explain to people and sort of going down this path of trying to get people involved, I realized that, oh, I'm an artist because I was like, oh, what is this struggle that I'm going through that I've chosen to go through? And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is art that you're trying to create. And so that year, I remember, um, you know, having these ideas for a a variety show. And I wanted something that encapsulated everything that I loved, which is, you know, books, music and comedy. And this and when it's all fresh, and the idea just comes to you, and you can just see it in your head. It sounds like a foreign language when it's coming out of your mouth. It's like, yeah, this is about to be like Mr. Rogers meets Dave Chappelle and like <laughs> a little bit about you. and people were like, Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> actually fit into a program and I was like, Uh, it will. So <laughs> just <laughs> trust me. And um and a lot of people like my mentor right now, they didn't get it until they saw um one of my literary music parodies and, um, some other stuff that I had, um, filmed for these pilots. And then they started to understand it. And a lot of the struggle that I mentioned is like really not so much creating the work, but communicating it. And so me being an artist now has been a lot of figuring out how to name it because it's, it's so much It's so much easier if I could just go to people and say, you know, I'm a writer, but then they find out that I also sing and that I also, you know, um, dance and that I also like, you know, that then they find out all of these other elements of my writing. Mm -hmm. They feel like they've been duped Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're like, you didn't tell me all this. And I'm like, I I, I started (laughs) with the main piece of the artistry. And, um, and so finding out how to name it has been, um, a huge struggle, um, because it fits a lot of different things, but it's, um, yeah, sometimes it's hard to explain it to people because they don't know how to, you know, to receive you and then how to explain you. And it's so funny because my family is the like, they're the best at it. And <laughs> the other day when my, my sister was saying how she was struggling to figure out how to explain um, me to a friend. And I was like, you can just tell them that I create media around literature. And she was like, oh my gosh, you just like changed my <laughs> life because I was telling them every single word And it felt like, you know, like when people hyphenate, um, and she was like,
1: it was just, it didn't make any sense. (laughs) Um, but yeah, creating media around literature, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And so simple. And I wish that like, so since 2016 that I was, you know, talking about this show, um, I, I started making the show and I, you know, like pitched it around and it sucks because, um, or it doesn't suck. It's been a learning lesson, but I've been like sitting on the the content that I want to share that I think would make my artistry make so much more sense <laughs> and I, I can't yet. And so it's like um, for now, I just have to continue to tell people like I create media around literature. And until so and someone else that I, someone has um, referred to me as like, a, I think a literary artist too. So that works.
1: Um, but yeah, just, so just to back up for a second. So you, I kind of want to get into your journey into being a literary artist or someone who makes, um, media around literature. I've, I'm a fan of your booktuber channel. So I guess I'd love to hear about how you got into that, what kind of content you put out on your channel. And then you mentioned things that are not out there. So what other things do you do that you, well, I guess maybe you don't want to discuss that if it's under wraps but I'm just interested in your history with um with booktube Booktube and with all of your artistry
0: um so yeah um so I moved to New York like right after I got out of right after um graduation or like I graduated college on a, a Sunday and I moved to New York on that Wednesday and I I wrote scripts and I was like oh my scripts are just gonna like find a whole production team and I'll just be making movies and of course that didn't happen but I did get a great job at a production company and I became a production manager and I didn't go to school I didn't go to film school but I knew that I wanted to get um some scripts made and so that was sort of the reason that I came up here and then um it just it like I was so um, Stretch thin working as a production manager, and I realized like I was denying some part of myself, and I really wanted to express myself and and write and to um, and I remember a conversation I was having with my boss. I was like, I just want to paint. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things where you're just sort of like confused as to why you're stuck or something, and I, like that was the first thing I could think of. But um. So I stopped working as a production manager full time. And then I went on this whole little like creative, um, sabbatical. I don't even know what it was called, but it was, um, it was a crazy decision, um, because that was struggle mode. And I started, you know, writing more and working as, um, a writer for different websites. And I started dancing and I started playing music and I started doing all these different things. Um, and then I realized that I wanted to talk to people about um, identity, and no one. It, there's a lot of different things that went on, but this particular moment, I wanted to talk to people about identity, and so I interviewed a few of my friends, um, and they didn't. They they wanted to have the conversation, but they didn't want it to be um, publicized. So I ended up just started talking about books. Um, to have the conversations about identity that other people didn't want to have. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so that's how I started the booktube channel because I had found this community online of people that were reviewing literature and I was like, I have found my tribe. <laughs> and, um, and then I just kept going and I really enjoyed it. And I then started having all these other ideas about what I could do with it and bringing in all these other elements. Um, and so yeah, that's, that was my intro into the booktube community. Um, And it was really fun. I remember that first first full year of doing booktube, I was reading like four books a week. It was like the, it was just such a, a beautiful time. I could just sit and read and then I would make videos. And then I would talk to people about them. And I was like, this is the life I have. A-
1: <laughs> now, how quickly were you turning? So how long is it taking you to read a book and then create a video about it and put it online?
0: I mean, it was it was happening so quickly. It was just just I. So, hmm. I mean, back then I was doing like the book hauls and everything, too. So I would show off my books and then I would get to reading and it would take me about a day to you know film a review edit and post it and then get back to reading something else um it i mean it was just like clockwork hmm. just
1: yeah just film edit read film edit <laughs> um, and i'm and curious i'm curious because to know that the origins were with conversations you wanted to have with your friends about identity that for whatever reason they didn't want to have made public. Um, and I know that your channel has a lot of public engagement. So I'm wondering, are you having the kinds of conversations with the community you formed on YouTube that you originally envisioned having with your friends? Mm, sometimes
0: I think that, you know, I, <laughs> I might, it, I, I might, Get the audience to, to share certain things. Like I invite people to have the conversation, but at the same time, I'm like a stranger on the internet. So not everyone is probably as, um, quick to, to jump into the comments and freely express themselves. But I think that at least it's my hope that the videos do make people think in a way that um, they hadn't before even if they don't want to share it publicly but um, I want to create a space in which people feel as if even if you can't you can't express it to other people that you can always come home to yourself like no matter what your thoughts are, that you can address them and, and choose a different thought if it's not serving you or, you know, um, to just be honest with yourself first. And I hope that that's what the videos do. Um, because I think sometimes we get so caught up in, I want to say this the right way because I don't want it to sound offensive, but we get so caught up in being what other people expect of us and it's sort of like a tribal mentality that we don't even really have um, conversations about. But like going beyond the the way we're tribal right now about political parties or about, um, you know, you know, whether it's I don't know if we're as tribal about gender and race and as much as we are about being Southerners and Northern, like whatever it is that we're tribal about. I think that there's another piece of it in which we want to seem as if um, we're unproblematic. And it's like we are all (laughs) problematic. (laughs) Until you see your own problems and address them for yourself, how are you ever going to be able to um, create enough space for someone else to see someone else for all of their problems without us being so quick to to label each other and to judge each other and to cancel each other it's like we're so complicated we're so um yeah we're just we're there are so many moving pieces that are moving all the time like today I am in love with grapefruit seltzer water tomorrow I could think that it is you know just awful for you like you know Mm -hmm. like we we change our mind. I'm really bad at coming up with analogies on on the fly, but no, go for it. Yeah, but just like it, we change our minds all the time, and we discover new things about ourselves, and then we can be so harsh on ourselves about it. And it's like I don't I don't think that you have to be harsh on yourself because you're you are you're discovering yourself, and so you can always come home to yourself, and you want to come home to a place that says here are all of the things that i am that are no longer serving me how can i make another choice tomorrow or today if i so wish
1: i think that's so important and i think books can play such an an important role in that process and i'm wondering if what it's meant for you to kind of do that yourself through your videos and have that kind of vulnerable process be public and also what kind of response you've received
0: Yeah, um, I think, (laughs) I mean, I don't know if, um, like even right now in this conversation I'm having with you, I'm like, I hope I'm making sense because I think that sometimes I'll just, um, I'll start talking about things and I, um, will go so far off, like, especially in my family and stuff. And I've been realizing this recently with my dad, I grow up, like I grew up always talking politics and history and religion and I would ask him you know the the worldly questions and it's so interesting because now even though we still have those conversations I am so um like the the like the questions I want to ask now I don't necessarily go to him for it like we we're not having the same Conversations because I've gone down another, um, like I'll just keep going deeper and deeper into something that is probably so simple. And, um, and he'll just like stop the conversation with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> or
0: like you can say it outright, but I see it in his eyes. And so sometimes I feel like I might, um, I worry about losing people not losing them as far as like a subscribe, but I don't ever want it to become too complicated that we don't see how simple it actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I don't even know if that answers the question.
1: (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I guess I'm just curious uh, what kind of relationship you have with your audience. I noticed on your website that you have the phrase, let the literature rouse the national consciousness, which I think is really cool um, about, you know, what your videos can do and what talking about reading can do and what books can do. So do you get a sense that people are kind of joining with you in that process? You sound like someone who's really had their consciousness raised through reading. And do you think that the readers who are watching your videos are going through the same process?
0: I think so and I hope so. Um, I think so because I've, you know, received a few comments like that. And um, even though I can't see them um, physically, I can sense the wheels turning. Um, and so when especially when those um, people come back to the next video, I am so grateful to be developing that sort of um, relationship with some of the viewers who come to the channel for a thoughtful review because I do put a lot of thinking into it. Um, and I think in the thinking part of it is really just sort of trying to make it not um, unreachable, like whatever I may have drawn from the literature, like that's all coming from an honest place. And I think me Coming back from wherever that deep place is that the literature took me in order to come back out and then try to reach another reader and say, Hey, this is what I got from this beyond just the plot. Like this book, um, helped me to explore my, um, my evil ways, or this book helped me to explore my, um, my sensitivity, or this book helped me to explore this and um and if if they hadn't read it and it intrigues them to go and get it that's always really welcomed and then if they had read it and they're like I didn't even see that that's like chef's kiss because I'm like <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that um you could you could see it and that happens for me too where it's like if I you know on another booktubers channel or if um someone comments on my page or, you know, if I'm talking to someone in real life and they show me something about a character that I probably didn't see because I was too caught up in themes um or, you know, something else. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, like that is I'm gonna go back and like re um evaluate how I had been in it how I had been experiencing this piece of literature. Um because that is profound.
1: Hmm. I, I'm wondering what is the process of picking books that you're going to read and review on your channel? You um, We what? talked before about books finding you, and I'm wondering if it's a similar process.
0: Of which books I share?
1: Right. Um,
0: I think that um, it, it's really most of the time – if a book really affects me, like I'll come up with the review right, right away because I like, it's that feeling of, I need to talk to someone about this book. So I will, you know, write out my thoughts and then I'll, um, you know, edit them and like figure out whatever my entry point is or things like that. So a lot of times it's the books that, um, just really speak to me. Um, but sometimes, you know, like, um, a book is just good like it's just such a, a beautiful reading experience and I don't do a video for it and I sort of keep it for myself mm-hmm. um and I also because I don't want to taint taint the, the the plot experience for anyone else so um you know I have both of those experiences but for the most part and, and then I might mention it in a video where I have like a bunch of books that I'm talking about um but for the books that I do reviews on on and that I go in depth about most of the time, the, the words come to me right away. And that's how I know I'm going to do something on it. Like right now I'm working on my review for the power and, um, that book, it like it the, the imagery of it and just this sort of the sense of, um, the shifting of, of, um, the patriarchy to, this developing matriarchy and these women now holding all this power and, um, scaring the men. And then what that actually means for the sense of a world that some of us think that we are seeking or that we won't rest until we get, and then having us question if we were the ones in power, would we do anything differently? Um, I mean, that book was just the, the, the emotional reaction to it was really awesome. Um, and so I'm excited for that review. So yeah, I think that most of the time, if I read a book and it just, I, I have all the, the feelings of it, like from the intellect into my heart into my spirit, most of the time I'll, um, the words will come to me or like the idea for the video. And then, um, And then sometimes I just read a really dope book and I like keep that experience to myself. Hmm.
1: What makes you want to keep it to yourself? And can you give me an example of a book that was just, the experience was so amazing. You just were like, I can't make a video about this.
0: Um, Yeah. The most recent one was um, probably the master's butchers club um, by, I mean the master butchers singing club by Louise Erdrich, who by the way, um, watches my channel now. <laughs> oh
1: my was, gosh.
0: Yeah, it was so cool. I was like, um, so yeah, um, but yeah, that book was like I love historical fiction. That is my jam. And <laughs> it was just so good. I mean the characters were so rich and the the time period was really cool. It was like the earlier part of the earlier half of the 20th century. And there was a real there, like these really cool relationships in there that, um, you know, people figuring out their sexuality and then really strong friendships and the secrets that people would hold for each other. And then the love stories that were growing through it, like the intricacies of it are so beautiful. And I just, <laughs> I, I love that book. And I remember just, you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of reading something, it's like, oh my gosh, I know I should, um, actually, no, I probably don't have those thoughts, but I don't, um, it's not that I don't want to share it because I definitely recommend it all the time, but I just couldn't taint it. Not that I taint books, but I just couldn't, um, no word that I had for it could, um, could match the experience. And now that I'm talking about this, I think the difference is that if a book really teaches me something, I want to share that lesson. And I think this book just sort of warmed me in a way that, um, it was just, it was meat for me. And so I want it to warm other people. Um, not that the other books that I review don't warm people, but like, it always, they teach me something that, um, I can then share in a lesson. I probably have like some deep rooted sense of being a teacher somewhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in a way, I think you kind of are a teacher. I mean, I think you're helping people kind of think through a lot of different books and a lot of different topics. And that seems like being a teacher. Um, I love your videos where you're interviewing authors on your channel. And I'm wondering what that's like for you to get the a chance to talk to some of the people who wrote these books to which you've responded so strongly.
0: It's really cool. Like the one I just did, um, with Mark Whitaker, he, um, I mean, most of the time they're so gracious. Like I'm just this random girl on YouTube and I'm like, Hey, i really loved your book. Can I talk to you about it? And, um, the fact that they would take the time out to coordinate with me and to, and for them to say yes, just, I mean, it's pretty awesome. And then I, um, one of the cooler ones too, I went down to um, Philadelphia for um, Liz Moore's book, um, uh, The Unseen World. And that book, oh my gosh, like, it um it taught me so much, it warmed me up so much like I remember that one too being so sort of um moved where I just i couldn't shut up about it like <laughs> I remember I like sold my couch and this lady came in um and she was getting it for her brother, and so she came in she was pregnant, and I was like, oh my gosh, you need to read this book and so I was just handing out copies <laughs> <laughs> and like i um and so for for when I reached out to Liz Moore, I was like, listen, I can't stop talking about this book to other people. So I just need to, I just needed to talk to her about it and ask all these questions because I wanted to make sure that the things that I was drawing from it, that I, again, saying the same worry of mine of like going too deep off um, the rails with things. And I just wanted, I was like, I got all these feelings about, you know, things going, becoming reality and like how we conceive and just, I I mean, I was just going, going, going and no one to sort of, um, to, to bounce the ideas off of. And so I needed to, I needed to bounce the ideas off of the source. (laughs) So I reached out to her and she was also very gracious and she was like, um, she chose a cafe so i went down there just for like a few hours too like i took a bus down to philadelphia and um and so that was a lot of fun and and then for other authors like you know um, the the other project that i was telling you about like i've you know interviewed some really cool people that um again it's just really nice and what it all comes down to i think really is because um You know how Oprah does her book club choices and she'll be like, (laughs) I finished reading so and so, and I just called up the author and that I love their book. And I'll be like, you can just call them up. I just want to do that. Like, I want to be able to just call up a creator and talk to them about the thing that they created. Yeah. Um, and um, like, that's just, that's just the coolest thing ever. Like you could just call um, this person that you never even talked to before. Like you didn't, <laughs> they didn't even know you had their number and like, and just ask to talk to them about their book. And so that's, that's really my life's mission <laughs> to get to the place where I can just call up an author and say, Hello, I'm Tony.
1: <laughs> Can I talk to you about your book? What's who's your dream
0: interview? Oh, um, who's, I mean it changes every year, but obviously Toni Morrison's still at the top. Oh yeah. Um, I would, you know who I would love to interview. I hope this this interview turns into some sort of like universe manifesting thing, but I would love to interview um Barack Obama. Of course. He is a reader that just, um, fascinates me. I think that his relationship to storytelling that we saw and we could experience through his presidency and through his being just absolutely floors me. And, um, and I think we sort of have similar reading tastes. I, that's pretty presumptuous of me, but we tend to like, the same stuff and um, and I, I love hearing him talk about what he's reading too. So that is a dream interview um, that's pretty consistent right now next to Tony Morrison and um, and probably I mean there's so many I mean I want to talk to them all. Um, I want to, I want to talk to George Saunders. I want to talk to Louise Erdrich. I want to talk to Jasmine, Jasmine Ward. Um, I want to talk to
1: all of them. I think you have great taste and I hope that this putting it out there to the universe makes it happen.
0: Yeah, let's make it happen.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I loved your, um, I saw your video on Lincoln in the Bardo, um, the great George Saunders novel of, I think last year. And yeah, that was a really wonderful book. He
0: has this thing that he says, um, I think he calls it radical tenderness. I I just want to talk to him a bit deeper about like I, I yeah, I think he's so dope. And have you have you read um
1: Lincoln and the Bardo? Oh yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. Wasn't I mean like how did it what was the experience like for you?
1: Uh, well, for me in particular, I know that I actually had to put it down and take a break from it because I found it so emotional. Um, I don't know what it was like for you, but mm-hmm. I read it within a year of the, my grandmother passing away. And this is a grandmother I was extremely close to and was named after. And in a weird way, I think that book found me at a time when I needed it, but I also kind of wasn't a hundred percent ready to think about, um, Just the descriptions of grief in that book were so intense of Lincoln for people who haven't read this book, it's about Lincoln mourning the loss of his son, Willie, who dies as a young boy, and about these characters that George Saunders invents who live in the cemetery and are spirits who are kind of watching the scene play out and we hear their stories and and I you know, when he comes to visit Willie's body in the tomb, it's just it's so overwhelming. But it's so beautifully done. Um, yeah, it was beautiful.
0: And so, like, you attached to the, um, the expressions of, of grief to, like, the, did it help you to cope more?
1: Uh, I think so. I mean, I think I was reading a lot of things at that time, um, that helped. Uh, I would recommend, for example, the poetry of Mary Oliver, which is the thing that probably helped me the most, but, Um, I think his books, a lot of his writing is ultimately about kindness and, um, are very spiritual, or at least that's how I experience them and very meditative. And I think that's just kind of the headspace I probably needed to be in. How about you?
0: Yeah. Um, I attach probably more to the, um, to the, the political undertones of it. Uh, there's a line, uh, towards the end where, um some of the ghosts are fighting and um i can't remember which character it is now but they say that um if they didn't it alluded to them not ending the fight and that it would go on in perpetuity like throughout whatever cosmos or wherever our um afterlife is or isn't um and he said unless some transformative Thing happened, and I'm gonna have to find the exact quote. And I remember just reading that and being like, wow, that we would hold on to the same, (laughs) the tribal thing that I was just referring to, that we could possibly hold on to our grievances or our, um, our beliefs that we are always right for so long that it follows us into the afterlife. And unless we, completely um had some sort of overhaul of mentality shifting things like that we could just change our mind you know and um and so the politics of it and this this I read this um in when did it come out in January of 2017 I think so yeah and this was a lot of our own American politics had been going through, um, so much transformation and we were having to look at things that we didn't, we never thought would, um, occur. And there was such a sense of what is happening. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so when I was reading it, I looked at, at leadership differently. I looked at, um, you know, just to, to, to contemplate what Lincoln had to have been going through in his own spirit to have the resolve to, to still <laughs> be, um, the type of leader that he was, um, and so transformative. And so to be within his, like the, the psychology of Lincoln really, um, uh, pulled me in. And then yeah, and just what it meant for us to be, um,
1: to be a part of it, to be a part of the narrative. Hmm. That's an, I, I, that makes sense now thinking about, about the book, but I wonder now if I reread it a year into the Trump presidency, if that's probably what I would be reflecting on too. Um, yeah, who knows? Yeah, um, um, yeah, I
0: think that for, if for nothing else, that that this is what this time is teaching us, like to be a bit more um, engaged with uh, sociopolitical happenings and, um, and whatever form that takes, but that we can't just sort of wait for um, someone else to save us or for institutions to save us. And I mean, all of us, mm-hmm. I think there's a sense of us always thinking that there's, there is a a great savior. There is a great emancipator. And that um, when we don't get that, you know, the entire world is coming to an end. And it's like, stop looking to one person to be the end-all be-all for society to be just and well and for it to work. And I think because we have the complete opposite of everything that um, we sort of expect out of a leader, we're all having to address our relationship to leadership.
1: Um, yeah. And so yeah. Sorry. I don't want to cut you off there. Um, but what I just wanted to say that one of the things I really admire about your channel is that I think it is, it is playing a role in that way in the space of, okay, we don't have a leader who's going to save us and we have to save ourselves, but you're, you're using your platform To speak about things like um, the memoir of the founder of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, even Black Panther, um, all of these things that I think offer important ideas for people in this moment and kind of thinking through the idea of, okay, how do we get through this?
0: Yeah, and I think that the the books, I mean, the contemporary literature that's coming out right now, it's offering us all of those things. Like there's no question that cannot be answered in some, it may not be the definitive answer, but there are books out there that are answering all of our questions and, and, and trying to bring us to each other. Like these books are bridges, not just between the author and the reader, but between readers and readers. And like, I think that one of my only concerns about, um, about all of this, you know, and, and trying to create media around literature is that I don't ever want it to come across as superficial. Like I don't ever want it to just sort of, um, skim the surface of what it can do. But I think that we have this idea that reading is such an isolated experience and that you just do it by yourself, but it's not that at all, because if I can, I can grow my own capacity to see people in their fullness. Surely that's not something that's just, uh, an experience that's, you know, my own, or that's not just an experience that happens, um, uh, with, with characters on a page, but that's an experience that has now been reflected inside of me that I can then have out in the world and how I, you know, I interact with other, with, with real people. And, you know, that's something that I'm still learning. Like I can, I can learn all these lessons, but for it to actually be in practice, like that is (laughs) the, that's the real, that's the real word. It's not so much of us saying we want to live in, in an ideal society or we want an ideal president. We want an ideal equality, but are we willing to do the work of it? Um, and I think that the books that we read really show us that. Like that memoir from um Patrice Kahn Colors really um, and she's the um, one of the the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I've had so many conversations with people, you know, whether it's um, people that don't understand what the organization is trying to do or you know, people that have feelings about um uh, about advocates for social justice or, you know, just so many different corners of people not understanding something and, so, and people <laughs> just sort of making their mind up about um, people from one title or one way that they look or whatever it is that the walls that we put up. And the thing that I drew from that book was look at how I also participate in our society that. Is, we just throw people away. And that once they've committed a transgression, I now look at them as, as, um, a convict or as a, a, whatever it is that has now been put on them or labeled at, or they've been labeled as. And how unwilling I am to, um, to, to just acknowledge that that person is also just trying to be loved and that person is also just trying to matter and that person is also just trying to contribute to society, to a society that is trying to throw them away. And I think that book beyond, you know, teaching people that Black Lives Matter is not <laughs> trying to tell anyone else that their lives, um, don't in fact matter, but that, um, they can't sit by idly while you know, people's lives are being destroyed and then we don't even create an environment in which people can, can rejoin society. Like it's, I mean, and the, the, the levels of it, the, the, um, I, I, I mean, the way that we destroy lives in this country, um, and I mean, this goes beyond race and gender and age and and class and everything else, because it's it's a, it's a greater problem. And I don't, I don't want to go down this whole tangent, but I think that we are all after the same thing and that we are so willing to deny other people their right to that same thing because we fixed in our minds that they don't deserve it for whatever reason. And I think that that's what the books do because they show us people's humanness and that it looks the same as my own humanness. And it's like, oh, they're they're just trying to be and we won't let them be.
1: Yeah. And I think um, a lot of people have spoken about the benefit of reading in that same way, that it offers uh, both the connection and a reminder that Of Shared humanity between us. I know I read once that uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, had a friendship with uh, the writer George Eliot, and they wrote each other letters. And in one of them, I can't remember who said it, but one described reading by saying, it's like a hand reaching out in the darkness, um, ready to take mine. And I think that's what's so great about what you've just described about the power of reading. But also, in a way, I think your Booktube channel is is replicating that. It's offering a means of connection and shared humanity with the people who watch your videos.
0: It, it, and that's my hope. And that line that's on um, that's on the, the, the site, the literature to rouse the national conscience, that comes from um, um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton she said that around the time you know when the the suffra- suffragist movement was um was was growing and she had said to um some conference or convention you know we need we need our own Harriet Beecher Stowe for Feminism, You know, that, and she was talking about Uncle Tom's cabin rousing the national conscience to do something about slavery in a way that no political action, no legislative piece of like nothing else could do it as that story did. Um, and that's why, you know, um, there was a, that moment that everyone talks about where Lincoln said, well, I want to meet the little lady that started this big war. Um because that is yeah the books because it's all right there it's like you're it and and I do believe books have soul like at the whole the wholeness of it the 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 truth right there in the pages that you can't turn away from um, and that it forces you to see something inside of yourself and um, and to awaken to uh to to yeah to yourself and to the to the greater society
1: well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So I'm wondering if maybe we could close by maybe I'll ask you to recommend a book that we should all check out to raise our national consciousness.
0: Ooh. A book to raise our national consciousness. Well, I'm going to have to go with Smoketown, which I just um, posted my review about because that book is, um, like I said, I love history. Um, so the untold story of Smoketown, the other great black renaissance is a story about the Pittsburgh um, black community of the earliest part or like the early half of the 20th century. And the book chronicles from this one guy, Cumberland Posey, senior, who worked um, on steamboats. And then he like, you know, um, uh, grew skill levels, grew education at all of that stuff and became this engineer. And then do you know who he was hanging out with? I don't. He was hanging out with, he was hanging out with the five Titans of, um, Pittsburgh. So, um, Carnegie, Mellon, um, Heinz, the guy who started the Heinz company where we get our ketchup. um, and I'm forgetting the other two right now, but if you paid attention in your US history class, you probably know who I'm thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> so he, you know, he just, he, he grew. He like was like, I, I'm going to invest in my own business. Like, and he, um, became one of the richest people in Pittsburgh, uh, uh richest black, um, man in Pittsburgh. And then, so this is just really like the first three chapters because everyone else will have to like read the other, you know, degrees of separations that go on. His son ends up um, becoming this like sports entrepreneur. And then the book chronicles what's going on with the sports entrepreneurs around this time. And there's this paper called the Pittsburgh Courier that was one of the biggest black newspapers, um, publications at the time, that and the Chicago Defender. And so there were all these people that were affiliated with that and how they were attached to people like Jackie Robinson and Joe Lewis and and Lena Horne. and, And then we end with August Wilson. And you have all these different people that have a lot to do with American history. But the thing that was so phenomenal about the book was that it was one of the, it was an uh, a gen- intergenerational community. It was a, a geopolitical community. It was such a, a, a portrait of what happens when people invest in them each other, not just themselves. Like they all had talent. They all had dreams for themselves and they all, you know, were, you know, becoming singers or boxers or whatever it is, baseball players. Um, they were, uh, entrepreneurs, but they were all investing in each other. It was like, if you can sing, I can play piano and this is how we're going to grow together. Or, you know, this person here is a teacher. I'm going to go learn from them. And to see that level of camaraderie in that sense, and that it was all built off of education and enterprise, and that this was just at its core, an American community, um, that is a book to, to raise the national conscience so that we can see what happens when we work together and when we strive for a dream. And, and you can watch the, the interview that I did with Mark Whitaker too, because I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I, I can't do it as much justice as people reading it and, and taking from it because I think there's so many different characters in it too that what I drew from it may not be what other people draw from it. And so, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It's such an American story.
1: Excellent. Well I will I know I'll be checking out for sure. And thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciated the chance to hear your story. Thank you so much, Mary. I'd like to thank our guest Dominique for sharing her story with us. I'd also like to thank our technical director, Taylor, for all her help. You can follow us on Instagram at chapters pod there you'll find shelfies submitted by our guests, including Dominique. Check out The StoryScape at www.thestoryscape.com and on YouTube to watch Dominique's videos and see all the amazing things she's doing on her channel. You can find us on Twitter at ChaptersPod. You can find me at MaryMahoney123 and Taylor at MJTThePhD. Visit our website www.chapterspod.com if you'd like to share your story on chapters. You can also find links to every book mentioned on this and every episode on our website. Follow our page on Facebook and you can get updates on the show and join conversations about each episode with other listeners. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us in the iTunes store. It really helps listeners find our show. Thanks for listening. For our chapters listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you visit audible.com and sign up for a free 30-day trial, you can download an audiobook for free. Why not check out The Skin I'm In by Sharon G. Flake, a book Dominique described as meaningful in her own life. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash chapters. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash chapters for your free audiobook.